welcome to our second episode of the CSD at WCU podcast. Today we are celebrating World Voice Day and we will be interviewing graduate students in the department who have worked with transgender clients. And we will be hearing from Samantha, Lana, Monica, Cassie, and Nicolette. So thank you for listening and let's begin. So the first question I have for you is, I would like you to talk about your preparation for working with transgender clients. What did you have to do to get ready for the sessions? Um, so my experience working with clients who are transgender, I had an evaluation. I also observed another clinician who gave treatment. So for an evaluation, is, I always thought the most important thing was to have the equipment required to take voice measures. I used Voice Evaluate, which was awesome, especially because I gave this evaluation during COVID and it's something that allows you to have space in between and the client can kind of do it a little more independently. Um, it's also important to think about the stimulability aspect of it and having more than one option because not everything works for the same person. So I worked with a male to female and after going through voice class, you know, the first thing you think of is false focal vulvar traction, thyroid tilt. And actually that wasn't something that worked at least not in this moment for this client. So then we tried AAS narrow, which was a lot more successful and it sounded a lot more natural and feminine. So just having multiple options because if you only have that one and it doesn't work, ooh, not so good. <laughs> so that's yeah. what I would say. <laughs> yeah. So Samantha, interesting. So you're you're using terms like AES narrow, thyroid tilt, false mm -hmm. vocal full retraction. What what can you tell people what that means? A lot of people don't know what those terms are. And and you say, you know, you have options. So what do you mean by that? So AES narrow, thyroid tilt, things like that. That is with estel figures which is what we've learned at Westchester University uh, with Dr. Grillo. So that is a type of voice therapy that really focuses on the anatomy and physiology of the voice mechanism. So those are terms that can be described, especially to an adult client who is cognitively able to understand those terms. Um, and then having options. So just like any other treatment, whether it's articulation or language, one therapy is not going to work for every single client. So when you're trying out different um, types of voices, new voices, you want to make sure you have mm -hmm. the ability to see what works best for them. Mm -hmm. So yeah. do, do you feel that understanding the anatomy, anatomy and physiology through the Estel figures, that gave you more tools rather than for example, just using the definition of a resonant voice or a voice that was, you know, breathy or a voice that was, so just using auditory perceptual terms. I think so, especially for clients who are transgender, because I know something very common that happens, especially when it's male to female and they're working with a cis female clinician, they might try to match you. So mm -hmm. if you're able to speak more in anatomical terms, they can think of it more about themselves and not trying to match you and pitch because mm -hmm. that is not, it's not always possible. And also we want to create their own voice. We don't want them to try and mimic yeah. our voice. So that, that's a really good point. Um, Lana, did you want to add, how did you prepare for your sessions with your transgender client? I agree um, a lot with what um, Sam said Part of uh, what I did with my transgender client was to really try to educate them. I was their first treatment clinician at our clinic. So I really wanted to educate them, like you mentioned about the anatomy, the physiology. And there was also that element of counseling involved since they were going through a transitional moment in their life. We spent a lot of time talking about what their goals were so that they were the lead and I was just there helping them achieve the best possible outcome. 
So there was a big element of counseling, a big element of education. I think in every session that I had my clients. Wonderful. That that was definitely something I kept reading about, like a lot of counseling. Yeah. And um, I was very lucky that semester um, I had Dr. Means and Dr. Means had a, a big, like, few classes on counseling and that really helped me wonderful uh, just help my client at that time so wonderful so you felt completely prepared because of the preparation that you received you know obviously through your voice class and through other classes you had at the at the university so that's wonderful um would anybody else like to share how how they prepared i can thank you cassie so i had a different experience than lana uh you yeah. and lana both know that i had no idea what i was doing going into it I, it was my first client of the whole semester and I had never taken a voice class. I didn't know Estel figures. I didn't know anything. Um, so I met with Dr. Grillo and Lana um, and I had to basically teach myself the Estel figures, the GVTPM model, all of that. Um, but now it's like going super smoothly in therapy. Uh, they are doing very well with the GVTPM. Um, but it is interesting because like Lana said, it's so much counseling. Yeah. So, and a lot of it is like subjective. And so I, what I've been doing is if like they do like standard versus modified voices, like how they define old and new voice, they self-report back to me. Like, okay, did you feel like that was your modified voice? I asked them that so that it's not me saying, okay, yeah, that's your voice mm-hmm. because it, it shouldn't be me deciding what it is. It's them. Uh, uh, great. That's a really good point. Always good. Always bring it back to the client and offer, you know, them to provide their feedback. That's a really good point. Plus it helps develop their ear, right? It helps develop. So they know what voice they're using so that then when they're away from you, they can be more attuned to that. Excellent, Cassie. Um, would anybody else like to share other things, other ways they prepared that we didn't talk about yet? I can share a little bit about my preparation. So I, you know, I looked back at my uh, notes from my voice class and just sort of went on to Ash's website to look into transgender voice therapy. And I also, cause I felt like I needed a little bit more information. Um, I went on to YouTube and just looked up transgender voice therapy, kind of to get the perspective from um, transgender voice clients themselves. Um, So I got to see the perspective of people who were still in the middle of their therapy, still establishing that new voice, and also people who had um, finished therapy and were using their new voice in their day-to-day life. So it was interesting to hear what was working well for them and to kind of take from that and apply some of those aspects in my own therapy sessions. Excellent. So that the, those additional invest investigations were helpful for you, Nicolette. Yes, definitely. Wonderful. Uh, Cassie, I forgot to ask you. You were mentioning the GVPTM. What is that? Uh, so that's the Global Voice Prevention Therapy Model. Um, there, I feel like there's no good way to just quickly summarize it. <laughs> but it's basically helping clients develop a new voice. Um, and it can be used for a lot of different, uh, like voice, I, I don't even know anything. I feel like it's not always even just voice, I don't know. But it's, um, you can use it to establish a new voice that's like either like healthier or reduces slack if people are working on loudness, like just anything. Yeah. So it's a therapy model that I developed, and there's basically four components to it. Stimulability testing to determine what you need to change to produce all of the new voices you're going to train. And it's based off of the anatomy and physiology of the system, which is the estel figures and the estel qualities. The second component would be any additional methods that augment and support the work you're doing, like vocal hygiene, vocal education. But the goal of the model is to get this new voice in everything the client is saying, or new voices. We train more than one voice, it's not just one. Another component is using the new voice in uh, treatment hierarchy, bottom-up treatment hierarchy from smallest unit of utterance, like you know, single word all the way up to conversational speech. And there's some really important steps in between there. Uh, between words and conversation. And then the fourth piece would be 
having the, the client produce all of the voices they're learning at each step of the hierarchy. And they also contrasted with their old voice too. That's the old voice they were producing before they met you in voice therapy. Um, uh, let's see, M Monica, did you wanna add anything for preparation? Um, I really agree with everybody else. I did my um, ESTEL studying just like everyone else did. Um, I was in the same boat as Cassie with being a first time clinician and having um, a transgender voice client as my first client. So I think I also visited Dr. Grillo and asked for some advice. Um, but I think something that was really big for me not so much preparing, but during the sessions was using a sense of humor and kind of letting them know some of this is going to be silly or you're going to feel a little bit silly doing all the Estel voices and it gets a little bit, you know, if you're not a very outgoing person, it might be a little uncomfortable. Um, so I think having that in mind going into it was really helpful. And that really helped my client too to realize like this is okay and we're gonna work through it and we're all working together. So there was a really nice just easygoing yeah. vibe. Yeah, and I like the idea of you know you're working together and it's okay to make these these funny sounding voices. That goes for any voice client you work with, um, not just transgender clients. Um, now, all of you have had the experience of, in, of investigating other voice therapy models that are in the literature that are mainly focused on training one voice based on auditory perceptual terms. Um, because you've had the experience of learning about those other models, plus what you've learned with Estel and the GVPTM, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the benefits you see in approaching voice therapy through the anatomy and physiology, so defining those auditory perceptual terms by anatomy and physiology through Estel. Can you talk about that a little bit? I know that with my client, it's um, really easy to um, use Estel when I'm like correcting them. So like I can hear them going slack or like getting a higher larynx and it's so easy for me to just like not jump in, but instead just like do this on the screen or mm -hmm. like whatever they need so that they know to fix it. And like educating them on that was really helpful because now I think it made them a lot more aware of what they're actually doing. And I know I told you in class, like we were like, you're not doing this one part. And it was so easy for us to fix it because they knew what we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. So Cassie, if just think about you, what you've been doing this semester. Do you think you would have been able to, to do all those things if you approached the voice therapy from only auditory perceptual terms like how would you how would you have done that i don't know i feel like i it would have been like just me being like did is that the voice that you wanted like i don't know like doesn't it feel like you wouldn't know how to tweak it how to fix it like look at all of those additional tools you have because you can focus on larynx height you can focus on tilting the thyroid you can focus on true vocal full body cover let's make it more stiff or thin if we're trying to be more feminine you know like if we're just doing resonant voice and we're humming I, you know okay but i i just i feel like i don't know what to do how do i how do i shape that what what do other clinicians think about that i'm going off that a little bit i think just uh, add, especially adding the hand movements along with the anatomy that you're teaching is super helpful because instead of interrupting them while they're speaking, you can just give them that hand movement. And I know for myself, learning Estel figures, when I even when I am using them, because I like to do that for fun, actually, <laughs> um, I'm, even if, if I'm like belting in when I'm home alone, I find myself doing <laughs> the hand movements that go along with it. So it's almost a little reminder to yourself too. Yeah. Um, it's just a little reminder that I think is really helpful. And it's something that we can use to correct them without interrupting. And it's something that they might even be able to use to correct themselves. Yeah. Good point, Samantha. Does anybody else have any other comments before I move to the next question? Okay. So we, the next question I have for you is I'd like to talk about how did you ensure a safe zone for your client? Um, what did you do to promote gender cultural sensitivity as you were working with them throughout the therapy? 
I think one of the first things I did was we talked about pronouns and what they felt comfortable with. Um, it was very easy to establish rapport with my client. Uh, I, I opened up, I, I gave them a little bit of background about me and then I asked them about them and they were immediately comfortable. You know, it just like was very easy to talk to them. Um, they were, they felt comfortable sharing very private things right away with me. I think because I let them know that I was just a person and I was here to really support them in any direction they wanted to take this therapy as we, you know, week by week. And we developed a great relationship. I think that um, a clinician has to have a sense of openness. Obviously, you don't have to share your bank account information or, you know. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> just, but you have to have some sort of openness. They're, they're just people and you're, you're connecting and you have to have that human to human connection to really see good results, to see the results. And like Monica said, humor is such a big part of our everyday life. Humor makes everything better. So if you can <laughs> include that in your therapy, I think you'll, it'll be a win-win situation for everyone. Awesome. What, what do other clinicians have to, have to offer with that as well? I was actually going to say something similar to Lana, but I really like how she put it about we're just people and we're both people and there's nothing really crazy going on there. Um, I feel like with my client, we started out by addressing pronouns, but then from there, there really wasn't too much focus on anything dealing with the transgender um, identification for them. I feel like that made them feel more comfortable to just um, kind of come in, proceed with the therapy, sort of working on the voice, just as people. Um, and we didn't really highlight anything that would be uncomfortable. Um, like they had known that we were accepting of them mm -hmm. our, and just having that understanding, I think was enough. Yeah. Yeah. The, the client immediately felt safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nicolette, you wanted to say something. Yeah. So I definitely like Monica and Lana um, focused a lot on building rapport in the beginning. Um, and it was, my client was so sweet and we really, just seemed to hit it off uh, from the jump, which was awesome. Um, but that being said, I still made sure throughout our therapy sessions to always ask for her input on the methods we were using, you know, ask how she felt to make sure she was really involved in her own therapy um, and just making sure she felt like her opinion was being recognized um, from just like the overall method we were using down to her smaller productions. Um, and, you know, that's also increasing that self-awareness, which is just a win-win for everyone there. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so let me move on to our next question. Uh, I'd like to talk now about the goals that you set for the client. What were the goals? Were the goals met? My transgender client came to me mid semester. So I only had them for about five weeks, six weeks. Um, and we got very far into the hierarchy. We didn't meet, I believe, the conversational level of the hierarchy. But at that point, they were still transitioning in what kind in the sense of what kind of voice they wanted. They didn't they knew they want they were going from female to male, but where they wanted their voice, they didn't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, Lana, did that match where they were in their life situation as well? Yes. Okay. Yes, it it did match. So they were very in a very transitional uh -huh. a place. Um, I think Cassie's with that client now. I don't know if things have changed. Mm -hmm. Since then, they were in a very transitional place, but they were always very hardworking. Mm -hmm. They really were engaged in the therapy. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that really did help was recording their voice. Mm -hmm. uh, and we went by standard and modified voice. That's what they felt comfortable for new and old mm -hmm. so that they could hear it themselves. But um, 
they did very well in those five weeks. I have to say, I think that the, um, that Estelle and the, um, your, and your model really allows for voice clients to progress quickly because mm -hmm. it's so structured. Right. Um, I had the same kind of experience with another voice client that I had in my first semester at the clinic, who just had vocal nodules and it also progressed really nicely because of the structure of the yeah. model. So, well, you bring up a good point that, you know, we as clinicians need to, to meet the client where the client is. And if they're in the, if they're in a process within their own life of, you know, transitioning and maybe they're, maybe they're, um, more a male at work, maybe they're more a female at home, you know, we, we need to be able to give them the tools that they need to be successful. So that's why it's important when we work with them to possibly train multiple voices. You know, you're using terms and Cassie's using terms like modified and standard voice. I think those are terms that that client preferred. Um, but the point is, is that the client knows what these voices are and they can then you know, transition to whatever the voice they need for that moment in time. And that's, that's, a, that's a significant thing. That's a huge tool that you gave that client to be successful with. Um, other clinicians, what other, how did you set, what were the goals, were the goals met in your semester? So I can kind of like go off of what Lana was saying. Um, so it's interesting because I think that the client is now further in their journey um, and they, know like what they want their voice to sound like and it's so it's really interesting because their like standard or old voice is actually becoming like lower just like in general um so like we haven't even been doing standard versus modified in the hierarchy because whenever they do their standard voice they go up so high and it's like not natural for them anymore like that's not their like it's their old voice but they don't like producing it and they don't feel comfortable so we just kind of moved on from that and they so we kind of like went back in the hierarchy because they were like no my voice isn't where I want it to be it needs to be lower and so now we're going back through mm -hmm. it at the like lower pitch um but we actually I was just mentioning this they weren't doing false vocal fold retract so now we have them do it in like a Patrick voice from Spongebob <laughs> for their standard so that they can get used to the false vocal fold retract and then they do um their modified voice so it's like we had to like kind of adjust it to the client yeah because they weren't as comfortable doing it in their standard voice anymore so we kind of just like switched it up so that it worked for them but like again that hierarchy like allows you to do that yeah which yeah. is nice so interesting the client now is further along in the transition process so the voice has to meet the client where the client is right now and it, and it sounds to me like you have given the client those tools so that's wonderful um Samantha, Nicolette, Monica, did you want to comment on goals and if they were met? So when it comes to transgender clients, I only had them for assessment. So okay. the only thing I can really say is that I recommended that they use the ethical quality of AES Narrow. Um, I know this client actually went to Nicolette and things kind of changed, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is funny because we were lucky to have that evaluation in person. And then treatment was through Zoom. So I always wonder if that changed anything or if it was just that's how they were on the day they saw me. And that's why that um, figure worked best. Uh, so that's kind of the only experience I have when it comes to voice with transgender clients. The other client I had had a CVA and we were working on having a stronger, thick voice um, and we did not meet the goal, we actually discontinued the goal because we um, referred to ENT because of suspicion of other, something physical going on. Okay. So mm -hmm. that was my only experience with that. Okay, so interesting. So, you know, depending upon the clinician, you know, the voice will change, right? That's so Samantha found one figure that worked, Nicolette potentially worked with another figure. Both are correct, but I guess it also depends on what the client prefers as well. Nicolette, did you wanna say something? Yeah, so I can speak that, to that a little bit. Um, so the, I did have the, um, I worked with the client that Samantha had evaluated. And I remember from reading the report, you know, we went right into AES Narrow and it just didn't sound 
authentic for her and she agreed. Um, so we moved into uh, high larynx, retracted false focal folds and a thyroid tilt. And that seemed to be where she wanted to be in terms of how feminine um, mm -hmm. the new voice would sound. So that's what my first goal had encompassed, you know, the high larynx, retracted false focal folds and the thyroid tilt to give her that um, higher pitch, but also that more feminine quality. Mm -hmm. um, she didn't reach her goal, um, but I did, I did write the goal to be more long-term for her. Um, she did start later in the semester. Um, so it wasn't too surprising that she didn't meet her goal because I think I only saw her for seven sessions. So it wasn't yeah. really enough time to get super far uh, in her progress. But um, going off of that first goal and that high larynx component, she tended, she had some difficulties with maintaining um, a pitch range that was uh, more towards that traditionally feminine pitch range, but also one that sounded authentic for her. Mm -hmm. So my second goal was to have her maintain a pitch range that encompassed that um, new voice that worked for her. Mm -hmm. So those are my two goals. And she didn't meet the second one either, but she did show improvement in, in um, maintaining consistency for her new voice. Awesome. And you know, just a point about the, so Samantha's experience versus Nicolette's experience with the same client. Samantha saw her one time, you know, Nicolette is working with her for seven weeks. So, you know, it's a little different when you're able to see a client for longer, you're able to adapt and change, right? So it kind of makes sense that Nicolette potentially was doing something different than Samantha because she was spending more time with her and they were fine tuning and she was really getting a sense for what the client preferred. And Dr. Grillo, I did, yeah. I did want to add um, another factor in kind of the difference in how I was perceiving her voice maybe. So not only was it over Zoom, the therapy, she was also in a, her car for a lot of the sessions. Oh, wow! So you can imagine how the acoustics would be different. Yes. Than, you know, being with her in person in a special room um, that Samantha was probably in. So, wow. So yeah. telepractice in the car. Mm -hmm. That yeah. must've been interesting. <laughs> yeah. We recommended that she try to <laughs> switch to a room and she did. And it ended up being okay. Um, good beneficial so <laughs> so you you made that a more you know conducive environment for success so that was good okay good <laughs> um so now i'd like you guys to talk about the methods that you use to achieve the goals what worked what didn't work you know what was successful maybe what were challenge what were some challenges you experienced with your clients i thought that tele doing it through telepractice is a great way um i was surprised that how well it a voice therapy actually works via teletherapy. Um, I, you know, I've read your article and there's others that support telepractice, but it, it's really nice to see that over this medium that we were like all just thrown into, it really <laughs> does work. And, you know, you can really still help your clients yep. feel good and feel better and achieve yep. maybe some level of higher hierarchy and their goals. So I loved, I actually really enjoyed doing it this way. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So you, 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 you made a difference, right? And even through zoom, we can hear as, you know, as long as your ear is fine tuned, you can hear subtle differences, even through zoom. Um, you know, we're talking about subtle changes, thi vertical thyroid versus vertical tilt. Yes. You can hear that difference. That's a subtle change. Um, so developing your ear to hear that, and you're still able to capture that on Zoom. Awesome. Um, anybody else? What what methods worked well? What didn't work well? So some things that worked really well for my client um, were vocal warm ups. Mm -hmm. um, I used to sing, so I'm <laughs> pretty familiar with some of those warm ups. So I kind of tried to incorporate that. Kind of tried to incorporate some resonant voice just in that those first five minutes to get her started um, and we also I also really emphasize the importance of vocal hygiene um, you know 
on therapy days and every day, you know, whenever she was practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely helpful. I know my client was um, complained about hoarseness some of the time. So I was really trying to push that vocal hygiene and make sure that, you know, decreased and wasn't continuing as she was practicing. Awesome. Great, great, Nicolette. Anybody else, Monica or Cassie? Um, My client had a lot of luck with using thyroid tilt. Um, That was the big helpful figure for them. Um, Other ones were a little bit more tricky, like false vocal fold retract was one that they had a lot of trouble finding that and really understanding that. So we had to work through that with lots of practice, but whenever they were feeling that their voice wasn't sounding how they really wanted, it wasn't getting the feminine quality happening, we would do a bunch of OUs with the thyroid and then all of a sudden they would have it. Yeah. Going back to the OU for thyroid tilt really if they were stuck, that was the thing that brought them yeah. the voice they really wanted. So let me give people an example. So the OU, OU. So that's actually doing two things. OU, that's retracting your false vocal fold and it's tilting your thyroid. So let me give people an example. There's three uh, manipulations or conditions for false vocal fold. So we have retract, OU, OU, so open. We have a mid false vocal fold, which is the way I'm talking to you right now. One, two, three, four, five versus, oh, you, hello, how are you? Oh, I'm so retracted and I'm so tilted at the same time versus one, two, three, four, five, which is mid and kind of a vertical thyroid. And then for false vocal fold, we also have constrict, which is, uh, one, two, three, four, five. So we have a lot of voice patients who constrict they're false vocal folds. So we need to open them up. Oh, you and retract. Oh, yes. So I just wanted to give people an example of <laughs> so what the differences in with are with the false vocal fold. Um, Cassie, did you want to add anything else about your methods that worked or things that didn't work? Um, I feel like I kind of mentioned it too with like the they weren't doing the false vocal fold retract, mm-hmm. um, even though it was like part of their modified voice. Um, but we just kind of took out the standard voice and then we're like, talk like Patrick to get those false vocal folds to track because that worked for them. Is Patrick um, the, oh, SpongeBob. Yeah, but yeah. So yeah. the reason that we did that was because we also needed them to keep a low larynx. Yeah, oh, SpongeBob. Yeah, and whenever they did the OU, it went very high. Yeah. Oh, so it was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we want to make sure we do the retract and the thyroid tilt with a sob quality. Oh, you, oh, SpongeBob, I'm so, so sorry, oh. So yeah, so that's an example of doing a low larynx for somebody who is wanting a more um, male sounding voice. Um, So overall, what did you all learn from working with your clients overall? You know, what was the overall experience like? Would you do anything differently next time? Do you love this population? Do you wanna keep working with these types of clients? Go ahead, tell us what you think. I really enjoyed working with um, my client and general voice. I would definitely love to do something in the future with voice. Um, I loved it because I saw how much difference it made in their life. And I think that's a big part of who we are and what we do is we're here to help. And if we can even just help a little bit, make someone's life better and help their transition in life and their journey in life be happier, then that's, that's all that matters at the end of the day. That's right. That's the most important. That is, that is the big it question. How are we improving the quality of life of this individual? Ultimately, that is the most important question that we need to get answered. Absolutely. And that's for all of our clients, not just, not just for transgender voice clients, but every type of client that we work with. How are we improving their quality of life at home, at school, on the job, socially, caregivers? How are we improving the quality of life of the caregivers who are interacting with that person? 
you know, people they meet on the street, the client, obviously. That's a really important point, Lana. Um, what would other people like to share? I'm, I'm asking again, uh, what did you overall learn from working with these clients? Um, what would you do differently next time? Do you see yourself working with this population in the future? Um, so I definitely enjoyed it. I feel like it, like Lana said, it's like, you can tell that it's like making a difference in their life. Like they come back and they're like, I did this at work. Like I used my healthy L in my modified voice at work and they're so excited. However, there's also times where I've never taken a counseling class. I have no idea about any of that. And it's a very emotional mm -hmm. session. Like sometimes they'll come in and they're like, I don't want to do this today. Like I'm having a lot of anxiety. I feel depressed and I don't think I can use my modified voice accurately. And those are the days where it's like, I feel like I'm being like a cheerleader the whole time, yeah. just yeah. like getting them through the session. But I don't always know like what to say or like what's appropriate to say. Cause like I said, I've never had a counseling class and I've also never worked with this population. So it's like, mm -hmm. I feel like next time if I were to do this, I definitely want to take like several very specific counseling classes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, so Cassie, you're saying that to add to your expertise, you would want to kind of, kind of dive more into counsel, specific counseling strategies potentially for this patient population would be very relevant for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, Nicolette, Samantha, Monica, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I'll add to that. Um, with what Cassie was saying about, you know, being your client's cheerleader, um, that resonated with my experience a little bit. I felt um, my client tended to be pretty hard on herself during therapy and she would often you know, say her phrase or say her sentence and say, oh, that was really bad, that was really bad. Yeah. So I think I, really learn the importance of not only giving feedback on ways she could improve, but also feedback on things she did really, really well. Yeah. And just really trying to lift her up because it's hard. And <laughs> um, it's so important to, again, just be that cheerleader for your client. Yeah. The, the first transgender client that we worked with in our clinic, I was kind of supervising the student with the client and um, she had a wonderful social worker who had actually referred her to our clinic. So we brought the social worker in um, with her, her, um, her parent. And it was just an amazing experience because the social worker was there giving us counseling advice. We were working as a team. I think, I think she came for two sessions. And just to have her expertise as the SLP and listening to her as another professional and what she has to offer, I just learned so much from her. She's amazing. Um, so that was a really wonderful experience as the SLP to have another clinical provider there providing those additional pieces that, you know, I didn't know as well in terms of the counseling for this, for this individual and how to help that part of it. So that was, that was something I learned that was really important for me, you know, moving forward um, in my practice. Um, Monica, did you want to add anything? Sure. Um, I really enjoyed working with my client. I have a voice background, um, like singing, musical voice, um, and psychology. So when I came in with my transgender client, I was so nervous, like not sure what to expect, but I felt like it was really in my wheelhouse. Um, so by the end of it, I was totally comfortable and we would have such a good time in the sessions um, just doing all of the fun voice things and it just became natural and there was no, in the beginning there was some awkwardness and like discomfort yeah. on my client's part, but by the end we were just having fun with it and just getting them that quality of life and I, that was maybe my favorite experience in clinic. Oh, wonderful. Very and, you know, and I think it's important too that, you know, you, you all are beginning clinicians, your students and, you know, expressing that and saying that, you know, I'm learning too, you're learning, we're both learning together and just being open about that and having that dialogue. And, um, you know, I'm going to make mistakes and we're going to make mistakes together and it's okay to make mistakes. This is a safe place to play around and experiment and respect each other and value each other, I think is really important. Um, so final question. And then we'll open up questions to the audience. Uh, so what can you offer to students and other professionals who are 
potentially going to be working with these individuals in the future to help them prepare. What do you wish you would have known um, that you didn't know that you know now that you can tell people to uh, you know, investigate? It sounds like Cassie, I think, would talk about the counseling piece, right? Making sure you're prepared um, to be able to address those questions or issues that arise. Is there anything else that you would add to that? What else should they do to prepare? I would also say just like um, going in with like a mindset that like, yes, this is therapy, but it's also very like, this could be really hard for someone to be doing. Um, like imagine literally trying to change how you talk all the time because your voice comes out so naturally now. So it's definitely like a difficult thing. Um, and make sure that they know that. Cause I feel like a lot of times my client would like get discouraged and I'd be like, you are literally changing something that is coming out of your mouth naturally and you want it to sound like it is you. I'm like, so like, don't like, I always say like, don't ask if you like your voice, ask if it sounds like you. Yeah. That's a good point. That's I don't always like my voice, but it sounds yeah. like me. <laughs> you know, that's a really good point. It's hard. This is hard work. It takes time. It takes practice. Things are going to feel weird and being there, like Cassie's saying, letting the client know that supporting them. That's so valuable. That's a really great point, Cassie. Anybody else want to offer? I would say take time um, to educate yourself on the counseling aspect, kind of like Cassie was saying. We were very lucky to have a speaker come in. I can't remember if she was a counselor or what her title was, but she was great. She gave a lot of tools to use, especially on those days when they aren't super excited or motivated to participate. So those scales, so you can see where they are, and then you can talk those through. Because again, yeah, we're not therapists or count. Well, we're not like, like uh, psychiatrists or psychologists, that type of therapist uh, or counselors. However, you may be one of the only people in their life that they share this identity with. Mm -hmm. um, especially if they're in the very beginning of their transition. Mm -hmm. So it's something that you need to take a lot of responsibility for and to be there for them and to be an advocate and an ear for them. So, yeah. Wonderful, Samantha. Great points. Nicolette, Lana, Monica, did you want to add anything? I would say to other future student clinicians to, you know, reach out to the amazing faculty um, especially if you're, it's your first client, you know, reach out. There's, you have all the resources and everyone there is in the, in the, in our clinic and our department is there to support you and guide you and teach you. So there's really nothing to be scared about. I was so afraid of just starting and I had this amazing faculty who supported me and, you know, let me learn and um, encouraged me. So just don't be afraid because you have uh, these amazing professionals who will hold your hand <laughs> literally if you needed help. <laughs> I mean, right. That is our job. We want you, you know, you are the future of the profession and we want to support you in any way that we can and we enjoy doing it. So yeah, please seek out guidance and help. Um, Nicolette and Monica, did you want to add anything? I think something that I tried to remind myself as I was working with my client was this was her final step in her transition. Mm -hmm. um, so there are really complex emotions that come along with that. Um, and just making sure you are working with them at a pace that works. Um, I know my client tended to just rush through certain things so I really had to slow her down a little bit to make sure the practice was meaningful sorry to make sure her practice was meaningful um but other clients may need some more time um because it is so emotional or it can be so emotional so I guess just making sure you're checking in on your client um not only for their voice needs but also emotionally and just making sure you're moving at a pace that works for them. Yeah, that's a really good point. The client that I supervised a, a number of years ago, um, that the, the student and I were working with the social worker together, this same experience, Nicolette, the voice was the last thing that was holding her up. 
And so she was elated at the end of therapy that she, she felt like, you know, this is me, this is my whole person now, because this was what was holding me up. So her whole life changed. And she talked about that openly. And that was an amazing feeling to have, to know that we were able to help her reach that final stage. She was finally able to be her true self because everything was in place. So that was an amazing experience. Monica, did you want to add anything? Um, I really love what Nicolette said, and I had a sort of different experience because my client was right at the very beginning of their process. So I would say for future clinicians to really get a feel for who the client is and where the client is, maybe in your interview, try to really see where they are and listen to them to see what they're looking for and then just meet them there and yeah. from there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's great that you said that because I was gonna say that because we've also worked with clients in the clinic we worked with a, um, a child who was, who was experimenting with their gender identity. And so we were working on a voice that was more non-binary. That was, that was neither kind of male or female um, because, because of the child's age, the child wasn't ready yet to commit to where they thought eventually they would be. So um, the student was working on something that was kind of in between. And that's, and we help the client meet that where they wanted to be at that moment. But who knows, maybe five, six years from now, the client will come back and will be more ready to become, you know, more feminine sounding. And then we will then adjust the voice at that time. So I think that's a really good point. Meet them where they are. So I'm wondering if any students in the audience, undergraduate students from the Westchester University Nishla chapter, National Student Speech Language Hearing Association chapter has any questions or any graduate students or who are with us as well. I think we have some graduate students who have joined too. Um, so let us know if you have any questions. You're welcome to turn on your camera, turn on your mic and ask, or you can chat if you'd like. We would love to have questions. I have a question. Um, I was wondering if you guys were placed with those clients out of interest? Um, is that something that you um, sort of tell your um, supervisors and when you're getting placed that that's something you're interested in or is it randomized? I don't, I think it's, it was random for me at least, but I'm wondering if you can request your interest and maybe get paired that way. I'm not totally sure, but in my case, it was just um, random circumstance. Yeah, you know, Emma, thank you for your question. A lot of it depends on the client's availability. You know, when is the client available and having that day and time match up with when, you know, we have a particular clinic section, a lot of that has to do with it. Um, oftentimes the supervisors of a specific clinic section may ask the student group to say, would anybody be interested in taking this client over? You know, would you, who would like to work with this transgender client? Um, in some, ex in some uh, examples, we may actually place a student um, who's had, for example, in the past, people who have worked with me who have the knowledge of voice, who've had ESTO voice training, even before they started the graduate program, we identify them as, as being someone who might be a good person to start with because they already have a background of ESTO figures in the GDPTM. So that has happened in the past as well. So there's a lot of factors. It really just depends, Emma. That, thank, oh, thank you for you. your question. You're welcome. Does anybody else have any other questions? I have another question. Um, in terms of the literature that's available for transgender voice therapy, is there anything you guys felt that you would have liked additional information on in terms of um, expertise and strategies? I know you guys use a lot of use the ESTL model. Was there times where you felt there could have been additional support or research backing? I feel like since... I had like no idea what I was doing when I first started. Um, I just kind of went straight to Dr. Grillo and Lana because it was her client. Um, but it was like, even looking into like the GVTPM, it is so extensive that any questions I had, if you just search like in the model, like the handout that Dr. Grillo gives us, but it's like in this whole handout, it literally gives you goals anything that you would need. And then like the Estel figures are so straightforward that I 
felt like I didn't really have any. Um, but I don't know if other people did. <laughs> I guess the only thing I could add to that is outside of Estel, um, it's a lot of just very subjective terms. So if you were looking into that kind of research, how we were talking about earlier, like what is a relaxed voice? What is a, add another adjective here, this type of voice, you know, the research could maybe, there could be something behind it, but the descriptions and the way to actually implement the treatment may be confusing or just not concrete. So. Thank you. Lana, did you want to say, add something, Lana? I was just going to say that um, I, I, the model and the Estelle figures and the anatomy, you know, the education, I really felt that it gave my client a very good overall, it gave me a, a very good comprehensive overall idea of how to teach the therapy so that the client was successful outside of our sessions. Um, of course, you know, every, everything you do should be backed by evidence. And um, obviously, Dr. Grillo's model is exceptional in that we're just lucky that it was just, you know, Dr. Grillo's here and here's the model and here are any questions answered. So um, I, I only stuck with the, mo the model and the Estelle figures. So. Well, and, and the literature for transgender voice, I mean, there are, there is literature for transgender voice. It tends to be more descriptive. I'm not aware of any large scale uh, trial, you know, look, working with transgender clients and saying, okay, here's a technique we're going to use. Let's test it against a control. Let's test it against another treatment. Um, I'm not aware of any literature that exists for that. So kind of what you have to do then is pull from other literature base within the voice world and say, okay, what other, you know, clinical studies are available, maybe not for transgender voice, but that have been shown to be efficacious. And then I can apply aspects of these approaches to my tr transgender population. So that's kind of where we are. I'm not aware of any large scale trials with uh, this type of population. But there's room for the future. We could do something like that, right? We need to add to the literature base. We could do that. Thank you, Bridget, for your question. That was a great question. Does, that, do any, does anybody else have any other questions or comments? You can chat if you feel more comfortable chatting or you're welcome to turn your camera on and talk. Okay, so we are gonna end this wonderful, amazing interview. Thank you so much to these amazing students. Without Lana, Monica, Cassie, Samantha, Nicolette, we would not be able to help all these people we've helped over the years, right, in our clinic. So we are so thankful and blessed that we have students like you who just do such a great job so that we can change the lives of all these people.